Well, good morning. Happy Labor Day weekend. The correct answer to the previous question is anything but chicken. That's just what I'm saying. Pork, ribs, uh, burgers, good steak, but not chicken. Come on. Anybody, did anybody root for chicken? Yes. Vote? <sighs> Don't understand that. All right. We're glad you're here this morning. My name is Mike, and uh, I am one of the uh, elders, and I uh, have the honor most weeks to stand up here and to preach and share the, share the scriptures to you and with you. And so uh, if this is your first time with us, we're super thankful you are here hanging out with us this weekend and hope that uh, this service will, will be a place where uh, you encounter the living Christ and, and uh, you, you feel welcomed and loved here. So um, we are in a series that is looking at kind of the pillar. So this, every, every time this year, we, we do a series that kind of pauses and recasts vision, that kind of we try to tell the church who we are and what we do. Uh, part of this is encouraging people to get involved in the rhythms that we, we think are important, but we get these rhythms from core beliefs that we hold about the nature of the gospel and what the gospel does in our lives. And we're calling this series Pillars because we're looking at these pillars of the gospel, community, and mission. Last week, we talked about the gospel, what it is, what it does. This week, we're going to be talking about community, the idea of, of intimate relationships. So we're not, like, we're using the term community today, not in terms of the community, like Pacific or Eureka or communities. We're using the idea of community, talking about close, intimate relationships that are formed when people who love Jesus learn to love one another and, and do life on life together. And so we're going to talk about that as something that is foundational to who we are and what we hope for you. And then next week, we're going to talk about the fact that those communities are on mission, uh, I don't know about you, but I, I like a good TV comedy. Uh, I've watched a lot of TV comedies over the years, and most of the ones that I have most valued that I like the most were TV comedies that were rooted in, in some set of relationships with weird, awkward, uncomfortable people. But over a period of time, those people in those weird, awkward relationships learn to love one another and have some form of community. And so shows like The Big Bang Theory or Seinfeld was kind of in this vein, or the one you got to go way, like way back. I'm totally dating myself and maybe dating myself so that some of you don't even know what I'm talking about is a show called Cheers. Any Cheers fans in here? All right, we got a few people. Um, and, and I love Cheers because the basic premise, it was around a bar and uh, a group of people who, who all had their, like, they all had massive problems and issues and struggles in their life. But there was something about being around that bar and, and hanging out with these, this group of people on a regular basis where they all were weird and uncomfortable and awkward, yet the season of life that they had, you know, so, so a whole lifelong or at least uh, up to 12 seasons of TV, they learned how to kind of find a place where, where they belonged and they connected. And, and the Cheers theme song, I always loved it, you know, if you're familiar with it, where the basic theme song is, you know, uh, everybody wants to go where everybody knows your name. They're always glad you came. Their troubles are all the same, right? Uh, so you want to be uh, where you can see our troubles are all the same. You want to be where everybody knows your name. I love that theme song because there's something that echoes that all of us long for. I don't care where you go, who you are. We want to be in a place where we're known and loved anyway, where, where we don't have to act like a certain sort of person to be accepted or loved, but we're known and we're loved anyway. And uh, so I always loved these comedies that were rooted in creating those kind of spaces where you just knew everybody in the show was hilarious because they were so broken and bizarre, but they learned to love each other. But what happened in, in culture is that culture over the last about 30 years, 20 years or so, reinvented comedy, reinvented these TV shows, and we moved from the relationship-based uh, shows that I always loved to what, what has been called cringe comedy shows. And probably the most famous one of these sort of shows is The Office, right? Where you still have a network of relationships and everybody has problems and everybody is awkward. But the whole idea of the show is not to show these people learning to function and love each other. They're to put these people in the most awkward and uncomfortable relationships and situations that you could possibly find, you know, where everybody, like, you just look at it, you're like, like, for me, I'm watching, I'm just like, I hurt. I don't laugh, I hurt for these people. I'm like, what is wrong? Why doesn't somebody step in and tell these people like, that behavior's not okay and we're not laughing with them, we are laughing at them and they're just terrible, you know? And uh, a lot of you guys love this. 
And, and, and so we're gonna preach a gospel because you'd probably need Jesus this morning. No, I'm joking. A lot of you love that kind of TV. And, and what they do is they add to the uncomfortability by making it almost like docudrama. So you have this, this character that's behind a camera who's documenting all this awful stuff. And, and there's tons of shows. So, so what shifted and why is this true? And I think one of the things that happened, maybe in our culture, maybe, one of the things that happened is that for a long time, the comedy in the TV show reflected a desire that most people wanted and were striving for. But maybe we've gotten to the place where we no longer believe it's possible. Maybe. Maybe the reason we find these shows funny is because we, we just know that that sort of thing doesn't exist in the real world. We have to put on, boy, I'm getting something back here that is freaking out. It's getting louder and louder. Somebody's coming, they're telling me, you know, The Office is the great show. And why are you talking, like Steve Carell's back here trying to hunt me down, right? Uh, now, uh, nothing wrong with watching these. But, but my point is maybe something has happened in the context of our culture where we used to long for it and hope for it and, and go to places where we found it fun and exciting. And maybe we're to the point where we just don't believe this exists anymore. Maybe it's not possible. Now, our challenge this morning then is to try to wrestle with the idea that the church should be that place, the place where um, you want to go because everybody knows your name. They're always glad you came. They know you. Well, our troubles uh, you know, are all the same. We are all in this together, that we can be honest and real, that, that, that we can come together in a place and be broken, and it's an okay place to not be okay, and you are loved anyway. And my argument this morning is not just that we need this, that one of the things that is happening in the story of the Bible, one of the things that is happening very specifically in the New Testament is that God's purpose is to save you as an individual, but it's never an individual event. He saves you into a people where he is like, he is creating something because of the gospel that is both vital for you and you are vital for that, for what God is doing in this world on purpose intentionally. And the, the, the call to this level of depth, this level of community, this level of, listen, I can see your mess and I love you and you can be vulnerable and honest and still accepted. And it's an okay place to not be okay. And sometimes we will laugh together and we will even laugh at our brokenness together and we will cry together and we will pray together that this is essential in our Christianity. One of the things that has coincided with this shift in culture is the move to what I will call the mega church. And I'm not anti-mega church. There are some great, huge churches but one of the things that is happening is that people no longer are, are trying to find relationship in a community church. They go to an event that is really well orchestrated and then they leave and they go, okay, I'm done with that. I don't have to deal with anything else. They never have to get like in the mud with other people and wrestle with deep relationships because we're just too busy or it's too hard. And, and, and what I want to lovingly say to every one of you is that you deeply need this and it deeply needs you. And so we are a church that is structured around the idea of building. We wanna see the gospel create community in this church. Deep-seated, beautiful relationships. Now, last week we talked about the gospel. And if you weren't here, I would challenge you to go back and listen to us. We have one message here, one simple message. That message is the story of Jesus and what he accomplished for you and for the entire universe by living his life and then dying on the cross in our place for our sins. He redeemed his people and he bought back creation. And he has promised that at the end of the day, evil will not win, he will be victorious. And we know that because three days later, he rose from the grave. And that message has cosmic implications for every one of us in this room. It is an invitation by the God of this universe into a better story than your own. He has invited you to know him, to experience him, to love him, to, 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 to be intimate with the God of this universe because Christ has paid the penalty for you and he is enough. 
And so, so the, this beautiful gospel, we were reminded last week that these images of sacrifice, that he died as our sacrifice, the image of, of rescue, that he has rescued us from slavery and given us freedom in our life, that in the gospel, we have a better king, that there's a kingdom that is inviting us to bow our knee to Christ as king, but find beauty and, and, and wonder and glory in our lives because of a kingdom and this image of adoption, that when we find Christ. God adopts us into our family and makes us his kids. And these are all true for those who hear the gospel and they believe it. They repent, turn from themselves and run to Jesus. My hope for you this morning is if you're here today and you've never trusted in Christ and believed the gospel, this is the gospel we're gonna offer every week. We want you to lift your chin and see Jesus and believe in him. But this morning, what I wanna share with you is that when Christ saves a person, he saves you into a people. And if you don't connect the dots between those two things, you're missing something massive and something massive is missing you. Because it's just like, we're America, right? I have this rugged individualistic view of the world that I can do it, nobody can stop me, I will, I, will, I will make my life what it's supposed to be. Just give me a few resources and I can overcome. And we've baptized that into the American, like the American church by saying that your, your Christianity is all about what you do alone in your private space. Now, hear me. It's important for you to have your own time with the Lord, your own Bible reading, your own sort of stuff. But we've baptized that. And, and for generations, we've said what it means to be a Christian is to get alone with God and do your thing. And, and we're skipping over major things in the New Testament where it says, no, really to be a follower of Jesus means that you have a people. A group of people that you're intimate and close. And Because this Christianity thing is not an individual sport. It's a team sport. We need a group of people to actually do it and do it the way God designed it. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to take you to this amazing letter that is called the book of Ephesians. New Testament book of Ephesians. It's a letter from a man whose name is the Apostle Paul. It's what we call him. But, but basically who this guy was, he was a guy who, who hated Christians, who despised Jesus, and then he met Jesus face to face. And God changed his life. He became a, a passionate follower of Jesus. And for about 15 to 20 years, this guy named Paul traveled to places in the world where nobody had heard the name of Jesus. He preached Jesus. He planted new churches. So he started these new communities of faith. And as he preached Christ and planted churches, he would then leave that church to be a community of faith in, its, in that town. And one of the places he went was the city of Ephesus, which is at the south uh, western end of what is modern day Turkey. He planted planted this church, so he preached Christ. He went to a couple places. He went to the Jewish house of worship where he preached Jesus from the Old Testament to Jewish people. And then he went to this marketplace, this, this big urban center of the city of Ephesus where there was this temple to this goddess. And he went to that place. And from there, he preached to people who did not grow up in, with the background of, of reading the Bible and learning about God. And they, they, they were secular people. And he preached Jesus there. And both Jews and Gentiles believed in Jesus. And he did what, was what we call planting a church, which means he started a church in that city. But in this city, Paul spent about uh, almost three years in that city as their kind of one of their elders and their, their lead pastor. And he taught every day in this huge like lecture hall that was associated with the city's learning. And people would come to hear him and he would preach. But then you saw them, like this church would meet in homes and in houses. And they had like house versions of churches because this is what happened everywhere the church was planted is you had this this gathering where everybody came together like all together to hear preaching, teaching of the word, to, to, to interact with like the sacraments, to to worship and sing the things that we've done this together. And then they did, ha they did church in homes where now you have a smaller collection of people who are hanging out. This is, this is what is taking place in the New Testament. And no Christian at that time really understood anything other than I need to be when the church is gathered and I need to be in this house uh, reflection of this. I, I do both and that's how I, am, I grow in my own faith. It's also how we demonstrate the gospel to our world. And so now Paul has left. It's been a few years later and he is writing a letter. He's now in prison, 
but he is writing a letter back to this church trying to encourage them and remind them of all the things that he taught and preached and shared with them. And so he has this amazing letter. And, and if you were to read all of Ephesians, I'm gonna give you a quick overview of the whole letter. The letter is actually broken into two parts and it's split right down the, the, the middle. The first three chapters of the letter uh, and this is literally just a letter from Paul to the church at Ephesus. They would read it on a Sunday morning as a sermon to the whole congregation. And Paul, the first three chapters tells us what Christ did for us in the gospel. We're told that we were chosen in him, that before the foundation of the world, he, he predestined us to be adopted as sons. Like all of those images that I talked about with sacrifice and adoption and, and, and these images that we threw out just a minute ago are all in the first three chapters. And the first three chapters don't have a single command. There isn't a single place where the first three chapters says, you should go and do this. The first three chapters are all saying, if you have trusted in Jesus, this is what God has already done. It is already true of you. You are already this person and being placed in this people. Then in chapter four, verse one, the first thing he says, therefore, here's how you walk. In other words, the last three chapters, because of everything in chapters one, two, and three that are true, here's the way you should live your lives as a follower of Jesus in the world. And, and so as you walk through this chapter one, verses one, like verse three through chapter two, verse 10, looks at you as an individual and says, here's what Christ did when he saved you. And the previous section is this, this glorious section. I love it because it starts in chapter two, verse one, where it says you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Like, like it paints a really bleak picture of your humanity where you were helpless, dead, depraved, without hope in the world. And then there's this phrase, this phrase is, but God, but God. We, we, we went on a our vacation a few weeks ago, and my son Andy wrote a series of devotions that we could do each morning, and he titled them The Big Butts of the Bible. I think we're going to do a sermon series one of these days here, The Big Butts of the Bible. Some of you are like, should I laugh at that? Yeah, it's okay to laugh. It's, it's how we roll. But uh, because there are several places where the phrase, but God, show up. If, there's, if there weren't any but God's, we'd be helpless and hopeless. But, but God, who being rich in mercy has redeemed us and rescued. Like the, this second half of that chapter says, here's what God has done. And, and, and the pinnacle where he says, by grace, you've been saved. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not a result of works so that nobody can boast. But God has rescued. But God has saved you. But God has redeemed you. And, and so we get to the pinnacle, pinnacle, uh, the pinnacle of that. By grace you've been saved. And he says, and you were saved for good works. This is what God has done. He has saved you. It's not because of you. He has reached into your life. He has chosen you. He has called you. He has redeemed you. He has rescued you. He has adopted you. If you are a follower of Jesus, and it's none of it's because of you. It is all because of grace. It is all because of God's love and mercy in your life. It is a good thing he has saved you. If you're a believer, that's your story. If you're not, that's what we're inviting you to. That is shouting stuff right there. But what he does in chapter two, verse 11, he, he begins this, and this is my argument. He says, and he saved you to a people. He didn't save you to a private walk with God, you, just you and yourself. He saved you to a people. And, and then what happens then, and these are two passages, and I'm not gonna try to like go through and pick everything apart. I'm gonna give you the general feel of these two passages. So in chapter two, the, what, what I'm telling you is everything that he says here in chapter two are things that are already true of us as believers. And then in chapter four, we have an echo passage, a mirror passage that says, because he has saved you into a people, because he has brought you into the church, because he has shaped you for these sort of relationships and this sort of community and this sort of thing, and because he's doing something glorious when he does that, chapter four says, this is what it ought to look like for you to love your brothers and sisters and be close to them. And I just, I just told you what I'm about to say. But let's look at it. Grab your Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter two. We're gonna pick it up with verse 11. <clears throat> 
And we're going to read through the end of this chapter, chapter 22, and I want you to hear this. And one of the things that I will tell you that's interesting about you, we as English people, English-speaking people who read the Bible, we have a real problem that we don't see, especially when we read it with American lenses. Because every time I read the word you, like our problem in English, which isn't in other languages, that the second, I'm sorry, the first person pronoun, second person pronoun, not first person, second person pronoun, which is, remember, you is second person, can be either singular or plural, okay? And most of the time when you and I read it, because we're Americans, we know it's me, I read the word you and I hear me. Where in the majority of the New Testament, where, the, where it's speaking to people in a, in a community of faith, the word you is y'all, youans, Right? And because I read the use as me and not the use as us, I miss a lot of the beautiful point of what is being said in some of these texts. And this is one of these. All the way through this, this is the second person plural. Every you in here is y'all, youans, like you folks, okay? And so let's, let's read this together. Verse 11, remember that at, uh, at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made by flesh, made it in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, there's another great but. Now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now, here's what he's saying. He's saying, all right, this church in Ephesus, this community of faith, had these people who grew up Jewish. They grew up part of this covenant people that the Old Testament uh, tells them about. They were included in the family of faith. They were part of this community that was the Jewish community. They had the Old Testament, the scriptures. They had been told about God from the earliest ages and read the Torah, and they knew what it meant to be included in this great family of faith. And then you had these people who grew up in, in a city like Ephesus from all over the world, all kinds of nations with all kinds of backgrounds and stories and heritages, all kinds of religious stories. Most of them were, were polytheistic, so they had belief in all kinds of different gods, gods of their own making. And, and Paul preached and, and so you had Jewish people who heard the message of the gospel and they went, this is the completion of my Jewishness. Jesus is the Messiah that was promised in the Old Testament. And, and they kind of stayed rooted in their heritage, but they said what it means to be Jew, to, to, to kind of be whole as a Jew is to see this promise of a Messiah, Jesus is him, I'm buying in. So they would become a Jewish believer. Meanwhile, you have, we would have these people who had never heard of these covenants, who were never included in this sort of faith, never included in this sort of tradition. They didn't know the Bible. They weren't taught the Old Testament. They didn't know what it looked like to come to a synagogue and worship the one true and living God. They, all they knew was like paganistic, pluralistic understanding of God. But Paul preached Christ as their hope. And all of a sudden their chin was lifted and they found the one true and living God through his son, Jesus. And they believed. And, and the best thing, like in our mind, what we should have done is we should have planted two churches. Let's get the Gentiles over here because they have all this story and background we have to wrestle with. Jews over here, but more importantly, Jews and Gentiles did not get along. They didn't like each other. There was a form of racism and, and, and separation in the culture around this, and it went both ways. The Gentiles to, to non-Jews in the world, in a very pluralistic world, but in non-Jews in the world, the Jews were closed-minded, bigoted, and, and way over the top with their religion. And Jews looked at Gentiles as the pagan scum of the world. And so, so they're just not going to get along, right? What happens in the New Testament that becomes compelling to the rest of the world is people who would never have anything to do with each other in any other setting. Like, like if, you, if you know the background, you know that Jews literally would not go to dinner and eat with the Gentile. They wouldn't go to dinner are now in this community of faith together. It's not just that there's a community that is built around people with the same heritage background. The walls come tumbling down and people who can't, won't associate are now best buddies and enjoying meals together. And the world looked at that and went, what is happening here? 
This is different than anything else that's happening in any place in the world. Nobody else can pull this off. And so here's what he says, verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who's made us both one, both Jew, Gentile, religious, irreligious, background, both made us both one and broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace. Now simply, here's what he's saying. The cross has torn down those barriers. We come to the cross and we're all at equal footing. We all, like where everybody has the same problem. We all have the same problem. Our broken sinfulness and at the cross, there is like we, there's not room for religious pride. There's not room for being better than you. We come to the cross with the same problems, same struggles. And now the cross gives us the same hope in Christ. And so he goes on, he says, uh, <clears throat> and, and verse 16, it might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For though through, through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. We just sang that. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for, the God, for God by the Spirit. Now, that's a lot of religious talk to say this. When God saved his people in Ephesus, he saved people who who hated each other before. And then he said, the cross has abolished that hostility. You are now a community of faith. The early church was not a place to go to. It was not an event. It was not a hierarchy. It was also always a people who were called into a depth of relationship so that they are sharing, sharing meals. They're praying together. They're hanging out in each other's homes. There is an intimacy and a call to deeper faith. And, and Paul is saying the reason that's important is because Christ died to create that. He saved a people. And that people is the eternal everywhere church. But it is also a local body of Christians who are in a place who need to reflect the beauty of what the gospel does so that before I was saved, I didn't like you. And now that I'm saved, I I love you and I'm for you and I'm close. This is what, what Christ died to secure. He Bought the church. He bought you individually, but bought you into, into, brought you into a people and he bought the community. We are his people. And the way we do life and faith together is either preaching that we believe this or it's preaching that we're just like the culture where the only thing we can rally around are the things that people in our culture can rally around. And our culture is becoming more and more fragmented is the church going to fragment around the same fault lines as the culture? Sadly, in a lot of places it is. We have a lot of people who are way more discipled by which news program you listen to than the gospel. And therefore, I can only be in community with people who are Fox News pundits or CNN or MSNBC. I can only be close to people who are like this and like that, who, who vote for this person or believe in these issues. Like, we are fragmenting, and there's just more and more issues that say, well, I used to get along with you, but now I can't get along with you because you think this. And we, we create terms and labels. And, and so often in churches, what's happening, and it is not what Christ has done. And so what he's saying here is, is that Christ paid for people and he brought them. He says, those who once, once there are those who are near and far. And there's all kinds of categories where there's a dividing wall. Uh, he mentions in this, he tore down the dividing wall of hostility. That is actually an image of something that actually existed. If you were to, to journey to Jerusalem at that point in time, and you would come to this complex that is called the temple, there was a wall that was called the dividing wall. Uh, and it was a wall that literally separated the court of the Gentiles and the court of the Jews. If you were a Gentile, you could go to the outer edges of the court and see it. But if you, would, you had to be a Jewish, circumcised Jewish person to cross into the inner court. And there was a giant sign uh, on, the, uh, on the gate that went through there that said, Gentile, you pass here at your own, uh, you know, exercising your own fate. If you go past here, you're in trouble. We're going to find you. We're going to get you. And you may not survive it. 
Like that was the warning. And what he says is Christ has torn down that wall. There's all kinds of walls we build. Uh, we're going to play a little game this morning. This is now audience participation time. You got to vote from one or the other. Okay, you got to show us which side of this wall you're on. So, so imagine a wall. We're going to figure out which side of these walls you're on. All right, hey, here you go. First one, are you ready? Are you a sock, sock, shoe, shoe person or a sock, shoe, sock, shoe person? All right, think about that. Sock, sock, shoe, shoe, or sock, shoe, sock, shoe. How many of you all are sock, sock, shoe, shoe? How many of you are sock, shoe, sock, shoe? Oh man, not many. You guys are the redeemed ones, by the way, the sock, shoe. Here's how you, like, like I guarantee you if you own dogs that shed, you, you will become a sock, shoe, sock, shoe. But, but, but we threw this question out in, in my family and my daughter who lives in Chicago went, like, like just went, looked at me and said, are, are you just an idiot? No, I put on sock, shoe, sock, shoe. It's the way you do it. All right, here you go. Next one. Uh, which side of this dividing wall? Are you a prefer on a hot dog, ketchup or mustard? How many mustard people? How many ketchup people? Prefer first, okay? The question was worded carefully. I know some of you are like, I want mustard and ketchup and sauerkraut. That's where you lost me, by the way. Pickle relish, I'm, I'm good with that. All right, mayonnaise? That's a new one. Anybody else a mayonnaise person? Yeah, one other, I see one other mayonnaise person, so you guys need to get together. All right, are you ready? Android or Apple? How many of y'all are Android people? Did you hear the dividing wall of hostility? It's right through the middle of the church. How many of you are Apple people? I was shamed into buying an, I'm an Android person with an Apple phone because the, the evil wickedness of the Apple people <laughs> flat out told me we can't have unity in our house unless I get an Apple phone. And it's all Apple's fault. Um, you, like, like they don't even hide it. The mark of the beast is on the back of the phone. It's, it's there. <laughs> anyway, uh, Android or Apple. All right, there we go. Uh, how many of you are toilet paper folders or crumplers? All right, who's, who's a folder? Who's a crumpler? Who's like, no way I'm raising my hand on that question. All right, here's the last one. Trump or Biden? No, I'm not going there, I'm not going there. I'm not going there. Now, I joke, but, but, but here's the deal. We as people, those are the fun ones. There are so many dividing walls in our culture. So many. There are racial dividing walls. There are socioeconomic dividing walls. There are massive political dividing walls. We are massively divided, like I said, over which news we watch and which set of ideas we follow. And what happens in the gospel in the New Testament, the New Testament says, here's what God is doing. God in the gospel is saving individuals from both sides of any of these walls. And he is bringing them together in a community where they love one another. They are for one another. They're they are deeply knowing one another. And they don't have to, like, it's not like my Apple thing, to be honest with you, where the only way I will really be, get along with you and send you videos if you join the Apple team. And like, there, there is space to be one together and you don't have to give up the things that matter and you value. We can hear one another and love one another. And what's happening is, you know, in American culture, there was just so many good places for community. What's happening in our culture now is we are so fragmented that the more we do this, the more we say we are like a people who love one another, who are for one another, who may have differences, but we, we are in this and I'm willing to get close. The more in our culture, it's just gonna look weird. Wait a minute, you're, you're telling me you have people who voted Democrat and Democrat and Republican in your community group? I hope so. You have people who are for this set of ideals and this set of ideals. You, you have people who, who see, the, like, this is what the new Christ has bought in the New Testament, in the gospel. Now, what happens then is over in chapter four, chapters one to 16, Paul then lays out the stuff that, that, that they are going to do. And uh, I'm going to read this. Like, I'm just going to read it. I'm not going to spend 
time unpacking it because I think it just, like, there's just beauty in seeing the overarching idea. But now he's saying, because Christ has redeemed this sort of community, here's how you live. I therefore, as a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing one another in love. Though, like there in verse two, he's not saying, like those are things I have to do to, to, to bear with you in love and to be patient and gentle. I have to know you. I have to have some group of people around that I am close enough that I know you. Uh, verse three, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called into one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. In other words, he's saying, here's what we're unified around. It's not background, it's not heritage, it's not politics. It's the centrality of the gospel, the one God, the one savior, the one baptism. That's what brings us together. Verse uh, eight, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying that he ascended, what does that mean? That he also did descend in lower regions of the earth. Now that's a really complicated passage. I'm not gonna go into detail, but simple version. He's saying that Christ who was in heaven came to earth and and gave his life and bought the church. And he is the, he is the, the head of the church. We are following him. Says he also, he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, uh, shepherds, and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for building up of the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the, the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Now, verse 16 is important. See what he says. Rather speak the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him, which, uh, into, the, into him who is the head into Christ. Here's how you as American read that. We are to grow, which means I'm supposed to grow, you're supposed to grow, you're supposed to grow, you're supposed to grow. You're sp- and that's not what he's saying. He's saying we collectively as we are in community and growing in depth of relationship and the gospel is reshaping our lives and therefore it's shaping a community that is a gospel-shaped, Jesus-loving, cross-centered community. We collectively as this community of, of, of faith, together we grow to look like Jesus as a collective. And when we grow up into that, then something rich and beautiful is happening So uh, verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint, which is equipped when every part is working properly, makes the body grow so that builds itself up in love. Now there's a lot there. And like I said, I'm not trying to break down everything, but he says, listen, you were to build the unity of the church, but the unity of the church in, in a way that you were shaping deep and beautiful relationships and deep connectedness with somebody. And that's how, Christ is put on display. The gospel is made beautiful. When you go into the eye doctor, if you've ever had this experience, there's this thing called the ferropeter. Ever heard of this thing? It's the thing that they put in front of your eyes, okay? So you have this chart on the wall and, you know, they, they, make, they make you look at it and, you know, depending on how your vision is, that chart may look, you know, all the letters may look fuzzier and they may look clear. But if you're there trying to get glasses, more than likely if they take your glasses or contacts out, it's really fuzzy. And they put this thing in front of your eyes, right? And also it's like, this one, this one, this one. And you're like, A's better than B, B's better than C. And they keep adjusting the lens so that that which is blurry and non-legible, which I can't read, over time they're gonna put something in front of my eyes that helps me see it more beautiful more beautifully and more clearly. And here's what Paul's trying to say in these two passages, that on one level, Christ has bought a people. He has already done everything necessary for us to be loved and known and to love and know. We, like this community of faith where we come close to each other, he's already paid for that to happen. But in chapter four, he says, therefore you have to be patient with one another, bear with one another, fight for unity, pull close to one another. And here's what he's saying. When you do that, when the community of faith, Ephesus, Ephesian church, when you do that, you are the frappeter of the gospel. You are in a world where people are looking at, 
at the story of God, the beauty of Christ, and it's blurry and it's fuzzy and they can't see it. But all of a sudden they look through the way we love each other. We care for each other. We do life together. The way, the way people that wouldn't get along in the society, society are now together for the gospel. And all of a sudden it's that the world can look through those lenses and see the beauty of Christ as they look through the community of the, faith, the church. That's what God is doing in the world. In other words, let me just make this clear. For Eureka Pacific, where we are, we are the gospel made visible. That's who the church is. And the way God does is by saving you into a saved us. You need this community to grow and this community needs you to make the gospel beautiful and visible to the culture around us. I love the idea that people are gonna be compelled because I'm a great preacher. I mean, I love that. Like all of a sudden, masses come here, they're hanging out, they're hearing because I, but that is not how the New Testament says the gospel is made visible. Gospel is made visible through the people of God living in a, a communal faith in love. And this, everywhere you go in the New Testament, the preaching is part of it, but it is not the sum total, it is not the accumulation. In other words, coming to hear a guy preach and listen to a band lead songs and sing with them is not the pinnacle of God's purpose for us. His purpose is to shape a people by the beauty of the gospel. And, and, and so there's, there's a couple ways that we can form community and form, especially form unity. One way to shape unity, to find unity, is to shape unity by avoiding any depth of relationship. You know, I don't know if you've had this experience, but I've been at Cardinal games that were big games, playoff games, and somebody hits a home run, and it looks like they're going to win the game. And, I, you know, I may not go to know the guy to the left and a guy, or guy to my right and the guy to my left may be this big, like he may have body odor all over him. And I don't know these people. I don't know their politics. I don't know anything about their lives. I don't know where they live. I don't know where they come from. But in that moment where that home run, I am hugging these people and high-fiving them. We are unified but we're unified because all we care about is this one thing together. I don't know anything else about you. But if my guess is if I began to, to really get to know those people around me, there would be all kinds of issues where I differ with them and the, the depth of relationship would actually break down the unity. But the other way to shape unity is to find something beautiful and rich in our lives that binds us together and to know you deeply. And to be drawn to you, even though there are differences and things that, that I disagree with. That is the gospel, the unity that is being called for in the gospel. Is the, the, the unity of deeply pursuing each other in relationship. And, and so what happens is when that's taking place in a church... It is, it is helping the different people in church. So if people who are new Christians and they're new to the faith, people who still are trying to figure out this Christianity thing and people who are more seasoned Christians, followers of Jesus who are doing faith and life together, they're loving one another, they're hanging out in homes, they're sharing meals, they're praying, they're reading the Bible together, they're wrestling with how, how that looks in their lives and how I apply the gospel and live, it, live out its implications and I have a group of people to do that with. And it's, it's lovingly impacting everybody. But at the same time, there's something as we start living out the implications of that in our city, there's just something really cool about this. I mean, believe it or not, we saw it this week. Part of the community of Genesis Church who loves one another, we're going to talk more about mission next week, how this community always has an engine and we, we have to see beyond just ourselves, like we are going, people and involved but, but we had some people in community who were hanging out and decided they were going to go serve this week. Uh, the city of Eureka has developed, we've developed a really good relationship. And so here we go, a group of people go. And guess what? Page two of the Eureka leader is a picture of our own Kirk Matthews, who is serving with a group of people that he loves and he's for and, and serving there. And it says, here's a member of Genesis Church serving at a city event. And it shows up. And, and that's just a real simple Express what I'm talking about. That all of a sudden, these people who love one another were living in the city, and all of a sudden, the city lifts up their chin and they take notice of that. Now, that, it doesn't always happen, but that's what's going on here. And so, what I what I want to say to you is that if you're a follower of Jesus, there has to be a place where this is happening in your life, in a local church. And if it's not, you need to rethink what Christ is wanting to do in and through you 
as he rescues you and redeems you in the gospel. In other words, let me just put this one other way, and then um, I'm, I'm going to talk about the purposes of our groups and how we as a church kind of structure that. There are 56 one another's in the Bible, 56 different times where the, the New Testament writers say, do this with one another, love one another, serve one another. There's actually greet one another with a holy kiss, which post-COVID we probably need to figure out how to do that and not make it a, a kiss. But, you know, I mean, there's, there, there's a forgive one another, be kind to one another. Even in our text today in verse, um, chapter four, verse, let's see, it was verse, uh, I think it was verse two, with all humility and gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. 56 different times where this one another phrase shows up in the New Testament to, to describe the depth of relationship that we're talking about. And here's what I will say to you. A, you need those one another's. You need somebody who is doing that for you. And B, you need to be included in a group of people that are doing one another's with a group of people. In other words, let me simplify that and say that. If you don't have a specific group of people that you could say, here's why I'm doing the one another's, you're probably missing the point of what the gospel wants to do in your life. Now, how does, you could get that other than what we do. Like our framework for that is called community groups. And so the way we live out this, this pillar of community, this thing that is super important is we say, listen, our rhythms are Sunday morning, the gathering, we sing, we worship, we pray, and then we want people to be in community groups. We're gonna meet in homes, we're gonna do faith and life together with a group of people, and we, we just are challenging, like this season, we're gonna double dog dare you that if you're already in community, stick with it. If you're not, find a group. And next week, we're gonna make a big deal. We're gonna use a lot of the service to tell you about those groups. We're gonna celebrate them. We're gonna introduce you to group leaders and even tell you how in the next week, you can find a group and go give it a try. This is the season of life where we're saying, hey, boot up, let's, let's get in a group. If you're already in a group, keep going or maybe find a new group. But if you're not, now's the time. We're gonna tell you about our eight community groups. That's how we do this at Genesis. And I have a group. I've had a group that has met in my house since, since like Genesis had 30 people. And what's happened is over the last 17 years, that group has multiplied and we've sent out missionary teams from our group to start new groups. We're doing that this year where people that I've been doing community group with three or four years are now saying, we're gonna go to a different house because we need more space for more people to do community. And we had a party the other night and my heart was excited and hurting as a few of the people that I've been in community with for the last several years are going to a new group. At the same time, there's people who are staying with us and new chairs for new people. And for a year, we're gonna... Just hang out. We're going to do faith and life and love Jesus together and wrestle with the implications of the gospel. And I don't care what your politics are. I don't care what your background and story are. I don't care. Listen, it, it, we just want a place where everybody knows your name. They're always glad you came. Where you realize that our, our troubles really are all the same. A place to belong and a place where it's okay to not be okay. And what's happened in the last year, our last year of group, has been a year where multiple people in our group lost very close people, including my wife and I, who both lost our fathers in the last year. And I will, my testimony to you is I don't know that we'd have made it through without these people. I, I just, there was all kinds of other dynamics you don't need to know about. And, 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 like, and multiple people who went through death went through not just the loss of a loved one, but the loss of other relationships and brokenness that, that came up in other ways. And I knew that every Tuesday night I would show up and there'd be a group of people who loved me, who when it was our turn to cry and just have a shoulder, they were there. And then a lot of other weeks where it was my turn to do the same. And, and we're, we work on this. And so that's kind of our goal. And I had more in the outline, but right now that, that, that's kind of where I just, I, I want to land this. I want to say this is like the gospel saves you as an individual. If you haven't trusted Christ, come to Jesus this morning. But when he saves you as an individual, he saves you into a people. And it's not just a gathering. Like what we're talking about here can't be done in a baseball stadium. This level of relationship can't even happen in a room this size. We have to have spaces where there are smaller groups of people 
where we're doing the one another's with and for each other. And I could stand up here at this point in time and give you the 22 benefits of being community. They're there. And some of them will say, well, none of those speak to me. I don't know that I I'm necessarily need this. My life is crazy. My life is busy. And I get all of that. But in the midst of that, I want to tell you that when Christ saved you, he saved you into a people. And when we're living this sort of community with one another, we become the forapeter of the gospel. We become the church of Jesus Christ that is diverse and has people from different backgrounds and stories and and people who have different struggles and all that who, who come together and find a way to be unified because we're in deep relationship becomes the way the gospel of Jesus is made visible in our world. And you get to be part of what God is doing when you you hang out with a group of people and just love on them, all right? So community is a pillar. If you wanna be part of Genesis, like some of you are like this, we hear this sermon every year. Yes, you do. Amen. But a lot of you are new and what we're saying is this is the church we are. This is what we want for you. We want you to find a community. We're gonna tell you how to next week. But, but we, we wanna challenge you to see this, all right? So uh, that, that's kind of what I had to say this morning, and I hope you're blessed and challenged by it, but I hope you start praying about where the Lord has for you. Meanwhile, I'm gonna pray and get off the stage, and our band's gonna come up, and we're gonna sing to Jesus, who has, has given us the hope of the gospel, and he is the one who has bought us as a church and bought us as a community of faith and who um, loves us more than we ever could imagine, and uh, he is the one who gives us hope for life in this world. And so um, let's sing to him and celebrate Jesus. We will collect an offering that is your chance to give back if you're part of our church. If you're a guest, the offering is not for you. It's a chance for those of us who are part of this community of faith to get collectively give together in, in community so that we can accomplish the purpose that God has for our church. Uh, uh, and, and we're gonna, gonna celebrate Jesus uh, at the end of our service or, or during the second song, we will have some people over here. If you're here today and you're, you're hurting, you're struggling, you need prayer, or if you have questions about who Jesus is or you, or, or you want to come believe the gospel, we will have people ready to pray with you and interact with you. I'll be at the back when the service is over if you have any questions or you'd like to talk to me about anything you heard. Uh, but um, but the, the pillar of community is a big deal for our church, and we hope it is something that, that you will find, find a place where you're loved. Lord, we, we praise you today for your word and for the promises and, and, and the beauty of, of what the gospel's done in us. And just thankful for the community of faith that I have, the larger community that gathers and the people that I know and love in this room and the myriads of people in this room that at one point in time or another have been part of my, my community group, my, my closer community. Lord, you've promised us that, that divide, the dividing walls are torn down. Help us navigate what that looks like in this world so that people who are different from us will feel like they are safe and loved around us. And may we be a lens through which people see the beauty of Christ in the world. In your name I pray, amen.